Backyard Farmer is a co-production of Nebraska Public Media and Nebraska Extension. Tonight on Backyard Farmer, we'll give you some spring turf tips and we'll see what's inside of a bag of potting soil from the garden center. That's all coming up next, right here on Backyard Farmer. Welcome to Backyard Farmer. I'm Kim Todd. We're glad you could join us for another hour of answering those gardening questions. Our panel of volunteers would be glad to hear from you as well, so just dial 1-800-676-5446. You can also get in touch with us via email. That address is byf at unl.edu. Those emailed questions and pictures will likely be answered on a future show. So do please tell us where you live, give us as much information about your subject as you possibly can, and do keep in mind we can't answer everybody's questions on air. You can also search for those answers on our Backyard Farmer YouTube channel. Do not forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. So, Jody, you have a lovely line of dead <laughs> items. <laughs> I do. Um, it's spring, almost, and that means carpenter bees will be out and about, and we know that they're coming soon because some of them have woken up and they push out all the dead ones that have overwintered in the galleries, and so these I did not kill, but I found uh, in a pile under my deck, and my deck is not infested, but I did do some transplants, so this is part of a deck that I borrowed from a friend who got a new deck. So these carpenter bees are pollinators and we generally think of all bees as being great for the, the ecosystem and environment. But this bee nests in solid wood and in our structural wood, so decks and pergolas and gazebos and those type of things. So we don't like that so much. You can see here that they have these round holes and then these galleries can be really deep and if you look I'll turn the wood this way. You can see that that hole goes probably about eight inches. So what we can do is usually in the fall, we wanna make sure we seal up those holes. You can call a professional to come out and treat those holes individually, but you will wanna seal them up, put some uh, wood dowel in there and then seal it with wood putty so that they don't stay in there because they do tend to nest there year after year and then they bring their families too, so. They're really beautiful and really Yeah, they look bad. like bumblebees, <laughs> but they've, again, they have the shiny abdomens right. compared to the hairy, furry yeah. abdomens. All right. Okay, Matt, you pulled some plugs here. Yeah, and like the bees, uh, taking a dirt nap, some of this grass <laughs> that everybody has coming out of the spring <clears throat> is also taking a dirt nap. So what I brought in today was just a couple different grasses, and for those of you that have a green lawn, you can probably stop listening and just uh, wait till the next one. But uh, so like my lawn is all turf type tall fescue, and I do not have irrigation. So if we go to let's say this this brown plug right here, so we have one plant that's growing in there, and the rest of this brown grass is probably dead from last fall, and through last summer as well. It just did not get enough water. Tall fescue is very drought tolerant and a good grass to grow. But when we run into situations like 2012 when we had a really severe drought, 
I lost to Fescue that time too. So 10 years later, I lost it again. And one good thing that I have in my lawn now is some Kentucky bluegrass. So this one here is Kentucky bluegrass. And the difference between the two is that tall fescue is more of a tillering grass. Uh, some of the newer varieties do have short tillers that it can spread. But if you have one every foot, tall fescue or turf type tall fescue is not gonna cover throughout the year unless you're really heavy on the fertilizer and it might bush out and grow into that spot. Whereas Kentucky bluegrass will send out uh, rhizomes underground and spread and fill in. So if you have one plant in one square foot of bluegrass, it'll probably fill in in a couple months or not even. Uh, and then I have one more plant here. Uh, it looks like a nice green grass, but if you see it in your lawn, it's kind of a lime green or a little bit different shade of green, and it grows really aggressively in the spring. And this is quack grass. So you might think you have a really great lawn and it does look green and good, but it's kind of sparse and it doesn't really get a thick uh, mat like a lot of the bluegrass or tall fescue does. Uh, so I just wanted to show that one where it might be in like big patches and grow year after year, similar to like, uh, oh, I'm trying to think. Oh, I lost my train of thought there, but <laughs> anyway, it's one grass that you can kind of tell by it's that lime green appearance and grows in a circle and it'll kind of take over uh, a week long. All right, great, thanks, Matt. Amy. Well, I brought some wonderful wild plums and the dog doo-doo on them. Um, this is black knot and uh, this is a fungal disease that we see really common in prunus species. Um, so what happens is you see this fungus will grow and get this big black canker on it. I'm gonna flip it over. This will continue to grow. And as you look here, it's starting to take up that whole branch. And so it's gonna girdle the whole branch. And so what we'll see is we'll see pieces of our favorable prunus species. So our plums, our cherries will end up getting this canker and then the branches will slowly die. So right now is a really great time to actually go through and start pruning these out. I know we're kind of past, we're starting to hit that window where we don't want to be pruning, but these stand out really, really easy right now. Um, I picked this one off the side of the road. I was driving 60 miles per hour and I'm able to go, oh, look, there's black knot. I was able to turn around. So really easy to spot. You want to prune it out. Typically, we're not going to spray for it. Pruning is the biggest thing we want to do to help control that girdling component. All right, and they're always fun because people do think that somebody flung dog poo at a tree. I know. <laughs> All right, Elizabeth, you have a nasty thing also. I do have a nasty thing. So this time of the year, we're driving around, we're seeing all those flower tree, flowering trees in bloom. And one of the flowering trees that we see in bloom is going to be that flowering pear or that ornamental pear. Don't buy into it. Don't think that it's a pretty tree and try to install it. And the reason for that is because it is on a watch list because it's becoming invasive and it's starting to spread and sprout from the root system. And what I have here is one that I took from a parking lot island in the middle of our parking um, lot in Grand Island. And we have no flowering pears for 100 feet. And so this guy, what it does is it comes up from the root system or it comes up from the um, fruit that a bird has left the droppings and it has these lovely thorns mm -hmm. all over it. And so that's something that we wanna keep in mind is while they are a very pretty tree and they are um, really nice this time of the year, there is a downside and a dark side to them that they are on in the invasive species watch list. Um, and so we really don't wanna be installing these flowering pears in our landscapes right now. And alternatives that bloom white. 
Might be. There's a lot of flowering crab apples that bloom white. Um, I don't like hawthorns because I think they don't smell very good, but they are another one that will have a bloom to them. So, I mean, there's lots of other options mm -hmm. out there. Um, just visit your local nursery and garden center to see what they have mm -hmm. that will fit your space first for year-long beauty, not just for the fleeting flowers. Service berry. Service berry, too. There you go. All right. Thanks, Elizabeth. All right. First round of questions, Jody, are yours. Uh, this comes to us from Omaha. This is a viewer who has a swamp white oak installed last August, appeared to decline, dropped its leaves early. Then just recently they found these clumps, I think on our second picture here. Um, it is in an irrigated lawn. He's got these weird things. Should they worry about it? What is that, do you think? Well, that looks like a, a rough bullet gall. So galls are usually nothing to worry about. It's more of an aesthetic thing. Won't harm the plant, but since it's a new tree, I would, I do want to know what the overall health of it is. So I wouldn't worry about the galls, but the overall health of the tree. Right, and maybe pick it off at, at yeah, least. If, yeah, you can pick those off or you can prune off any of, of, the, of the twigs that have a lot of those galls. They're stingless wasps that make those, but it that will not kill the tree. All right, thanks, Jody. You have two pictures on this next one. This is a Lincoln viewer, uh, just of the trunk, unfortunately, on this one, but uh, he thinks this pine is an Austrian and has been some sort of sap exuding. He's wondering, is this disease? Is this insects? Is this little somewhere in between. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not able to say for sure if it is insect. So it would be nice to see more of the tree if you could send a, a picture of the overall health of the tree. It could be some kind of, of borer that's causing the tree to sap out like that. I don't know if it could be a fungus or anything else. It could be, seeing more of the tree would definitely be more beneficial yeah. to make sure, rule out a canker that maybe is up further that we're not able to see in that picture that would cause that sapping to come out. Right, all right, thanks. All right, Matt, your first one here comes to us from a papillion viewer. Uh, she has small plants like this coming up in her garden. She's wondering if they are poison hemlock or are they rogue baby carrots. Uh, one had uh, kind of a long tap root that was sort of a whitish color. She didn't get a picture of the root. She's, she is worried, you know, that, that it is something that she doesn't want. Yeah. And she's got kids and dogs, and what can <clears throat> she do to prevent it from coming back? Uh, I don't know if there's a good way to prevent it. If there is poison hemlock in the area, that seed can travel. It's pretty small, so it can sit down one year, and then you'll see it the next. It's a biennial, so usually it's that small size at first, and then it'll shoot up the next year and be a 10-foot tall plant. Uh, so if you catch it when it's young like this and just try and keep it clean, a really good way is just to pull it. I don't think there's any mm -hmm. issue. Uh, if you're worried about the poison part of it, just wear gloves because if you get it on your skin, it can cause irritation. And then just make sure you don't eat it. So that's the main thing with that one. And we are seeing an awful lot of it. Yeah, and it's, it's everywhere. I don't know if you can prevent that weed from coming in. Just keep an eye out, and if it looks like that one you have there, just pull it out or dig it up so you get the tap root so it kills it off. All right, excellent. Thanks, Matt. Your next one is also a Lincoln viewer. Uh, they want to know what this is already in flower and how do you control this? 
So this looks like ground ivy. Uh, there's another one that's in flower right now, which would be henbit, which is a winter annual. This is a perennial, so it's gonna stay there and flourish throughout the rest of the year and come back next year, throw a bunch of seed and just keep spreading. So one good product to use on this one would be in the fall. Um, most of your products that contain 2,4-D, dicamba, triclopyr, uh, those three together, uh, triclopyr is the main one that works the best, so that would be one to include in any mix. Um, but if you're gonna do it now, I would say do it sooner than later if it's up and growing already because it's gonna spread and be harder to kill as you get throughout the year. And hard to dig and get rid of. Yeah, it's not an easy one to rip out because it's viney and it just pops up everywhere. All right, thanks, Matt. Amy, um, we have you have a couple fun ones because these are people who took pictures last year. They want to keep it from happening this year if we can figure out what it is. This first one is a an aspen, eight to ten years old, and last fall looked healthy. This is Council Bluffs, and then kind of did this. He sent us a leaf. Also, this is Swedish aspen, not quaking, but he's wondering. Disease, dead, he's still got some a little green under the bark. A little green underneath the bark. So I can't see any disease from the leaf. Um, a closer up picture of the bark would be helpful, but with discussions with Kim in the panel before, before the show, the biggest thing that they're seeing is that these Swedish aspens, you need to give them more time. Um, and they're, they're holding onto their leaves. So since it's still a little green, give it some more time. Let's take a, give it some more time, let's take a closer look. Um, why it could be browning, last year, I don't care where you were at in Nebraska, it was dry. Mm -hmm. Leaves turn brown, trees are going to need water. Um, your lawn sprinkler is not enough water. So making sure you're giving plenty of supplemental water to those trees, especially since we had a dry fall and we're going into the spring dry again. Um, giving them some supplemental water now as they're starting to green up is gonna be very beneficial for them. Yeah. And just give it some time. All right, your next one is also from last year. Uh, this is a viewer who had a variegated sweet gum, which is unusual. Had black edges on the leaves, previous two years, the same sort of thing. Nothing else, no herbicides. He's wondering, is it cold, is it frost? This is Bellevue. Okay, so there is a few diseases that we'll see on sweet gum, but looking at the pattern on these leaves, I'm gonna lean toward more environmental and desiccation because it's on the tips. Um, because we were dry, as we go into this year, once again, just like that aspen, let's give it some supplemental water. Make sure we give it supplemental water throughout the season. Um, the other trick, I know it's variegated, but it looks like it might have a little bit of chlorosis going on. It's a little yellower than what I would anticipate. So anything to help with that chlorosis, adding some iron and some other components would help it too. But the big thing is gonna be water. All right. uh, water, water, water. Thanks, Amy. All right, Elizabeth, you have three different pictures from three different viewers of the exact same plant. Boxwood last spring, tips are turning yellow. They do have a soaker hose, the house faces west. The second one here is, do they need to cut this back or start over? And the third one is also boxwood shrubs on the north side, a lot, lot of damage a couple years ago. So we have one, two, three with classic boxwood. Classic boxwood with classic winter desiccation. Mm -hmm. um, like Amy said, we were really dry and all those boxwoods were um, really open on that north or that west side and they got winter desiccation. So anything that's brown right now, go ahead and prune it out um, and make that determination if it's going to be a quality shrub that you would be happy with in that location. If not, consider removal. 
Awesome. And then you have two pictures on this one. This is a three to four year old service berry. Um, leaves a turn yellow and, and it's kind of got this peeling bark thing going on. And the second one is, what do you think here? Give it up or keep it? It's kind of hard to tell. Service berry can also get um, fire blight. And so that would make me, you know, send a sample in would probably be their best bet with that just to determine whether or not it is. If it is, then we're looking at pruning at least 12 inches into that live wood to help slow that spread. But, um, you know, a sample would really be helpful. All right. Thanks, Elizabeth. Well, you know, people want with a lawn want to get that lawn off to a great start in the spring. So there are a few key things to keep in mind to get that turf in good shape for the rest of the season. Here's Matt to give us the rundown on spring lawn care. All right, so there may be some questions uh, coming into our lawns this new year. Uh, last fall we had a pretty dry uh, we had a dry summer and fall, but we did have some decent moisture going through the winter. So there might be some areas in your lawn where it's thin uh, in, the, in the fall of last year or the summer if you did not have irrigation system and let's say your lawn went totally dormant and it's bluegrass, most likely that lawn is going to be okay. But if you had a tall fescue lawn and it went completely dormant, odds are that grass is not going to be coming back. Uh, and lawns have started to green up here and there uh, depending on what type of grass you have. So looking at that area, knowing if you have tall fescue or bluegrass, uh, if it hasn't come back yet, we're probably gonna wanna take steps and do some seeding, especially if it is tall fescue. Uh, a lot of people know that tall fescue is a good water saving grass, and it is, uh, it requires less water, but when we have a drought, let's say last winter into the summer, uh, that grass does still need water and we don't get it for long periods of time. It doesn't go dormant, it actually dies. So. There's something to think about there when you're choosing some grasses, depending on if you have an irrigation system or not. Uh, so when we come into the spring and we have a thin area, we wanna be careful when we're putting pre-emergence down. If we're gonna seed into that area, there are some other products. Uh, Scott's makes one that has mesotrione in it, and that would be a good one for the areas that we're seeding uh, and other areas that we're not seeding. Pre-emergent is still fine, unless we're gonna be doing overseeding uh, in that area, we wanna stay away from the pre-emergent herbicides. Also with spring, people get anxious to get outside and you know get start mowing or start watering. Uh, now would be a good time if your lawn has greened up a little bit, you have, let's say, leaves and stuff like that, just to give it a light rake or even a mow with it higher up. There's no need to really scalp it down. We should be to that point to where we can start doing a little bit of maintenance on that grass and maybe the first mowing or second mowing, uh, depending on what you have and your situation with shade and heat off the streets or if it's out in an acreage. Um, along with that uh, watering, we have had decent water this winter, but if we stay in this dry or these drier times where we're not getting consistent rains, uh, just kind of go out there and you know maybe stick a screwdriver in the soil and see if it's wet. Uh, if it is dry and hard to get it in there, that's one indication where we might need to do a little bit of supplemental watering if we have our irrigation system turned on. Uh, along with that fertilizer, uh, a lot of times we say do not put fertilizer on in the spring and that's basically because we have such a flush of growth in May that we don't need that fertilizer that, that far or that early in the season. So we typically say to hold off till late May or June to fertilize our lawns. But if we did have a thinner area or a weak lawn going into the winter coming out of the spring, now would be a good time to use a fertilizer with phosphorus in it to help promote uh, thickening that lawn and filling in those bare areas.
Thanks, Matt. You know, those tips should really help people who want a great lawn keep it great this spring. And of course, some people don't, and I just mow it if it's green. Exactly. <laughs> it's easier if it's brown, right? It's easier if it's brown. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jody, this comes to us from Western Odo County and found this interesting little crawler in a bare dirt area. Had no idea what, only about inch and an eighth, segmented, nice description. Utilized the very back segment to scoot and push. So <laughs> they're wondering what this is. It's very cool. It's very cool. I've never even seen one. It's called a glowworm. Oh. And yes, they also call those railroad worms because when they light up, because they bioluminesce, they look like, like a train, like a rail car. So amazing. And that little scooty mm. thing, it's like a little shovel because it doesn't have back legs, so it moves that way. So that is a great find. So Thanks for sending that. What does it turn into? Well, so if it's a male, it turns into a beetle with these feathery antennae, but the females look exactly like that. Their larval form. Wow, that's way yeah. cool. So fun. that could be, that's probably an adult female. That's fun. All right, you have one picture on this next one. Uh, can you tell <clears throat> me what these are? And obviously this is from last year. Yeah. He calls them squash bugs. <laughs> he says they completely destroyed things. Yep. He used eight, it didn't phase them. It drank them. Yep. yep. Like orange juice these for breakfast. Are, yes, these are squash <laughs> bugs. And uh, I could probably talk for like half an hour about them. I would not use a chemical on them because only if you actually contact them will they die. So there's not gonna be any residual. The eggs are on the underside. This is like integrated approach. So as soon as you those squash plants come up, start scouting, look under the leaves, look for those egg clusters. They're gonna be like these orange-ish football-shaped clusters. Squish those or pull that leaf off with all the clusters and do that at least once a week. All right, thanks, Jody. You have uh, two more, that, and they're both interesting. This first one is on a butterfly bush. What is this? Okay, this is, um, we call those uthiki or uthika. It is an egg case from a Chinese praying mantis. Mm -hmm. Just leave that outside in the garden. And these ones are two from a Carolina mantid. Mm -hmm. uh, leave those out in the garden. If you're lucky, you'll get a couple that last through the season, but they usually fly away or get predated on themselves, so. Awesome, thanks. All right, Matt, uh, this is an ord viewer who wants to know from this picture, why can't he get grass to grow and not die every year in the middle of the yard? Um, one reason on this first picture is the tree. Yeah. And with last year's weather, drier, that tree is gonna suck a lot of moisture away from the turf. So if it's not being watered, adequately uh, that would be one reason and if it is being watered adequately it could be the type of grass too so if it's uh, poa trivialis which is rough bluegrass that tends to green up usually now and then go dormant in the summer because it can't handle the heat but it doesn't look like that's the case in this one because it's dead right now so i would say you're gonna have to end up seeding it um, try a mixture of different grasses and hopefully you get something to take uh, some of the shade tolerant varieties would be better. Better. Yeah. All right, your next one is brown areas in the lawn. This is Carney, and um, so he's got issues for about 18 years, wondering, this is actually, it's best looking is this, and then it turns more brown and looks like 
this. Yeah, so this is the same thing. It might be variety as well. It could be that grass is looking good now and then you get into the summer and it just goes downhill if it's one of those, let's say, rough bluegrass. Or it's something to do with the area. If it's a flooded area, I don't, I can't tell if it's a waterway or not or if it's a flat area, uh, but that would be another instance. Or it could be grubs in that spot consistently every year if there's a yard light. Uh, just by looking at that picture, it's hard to tell, but you could seed newer varieties into there and go from there and that'd probably be the best step. All right, thanks, Matt. Amy, this comes to us from Fontenelle. You have three pictures on this one. Okay. 12 spruce on their acreages. Um, they've all died, started happening last summer, and they have continued until they are all dead. And they have died from the tops down, no insects, tried to sufficiently water. Okay. So we're probably looking at two things. One thing I'm gonna lean toward to be Cytospora canker. As you can see here, you've seen that resin coming out. Um, white, gray, sticky, that is Cytospora canker. The plant is oozing out sap. The trick with Cytospora canker is once you have it in the tree, there's nothing you can do for it, and it's gonna girdle the tree, and it prevents the movement of water and nutrients up into that tree. The big thing with Cytospora is it's worse when we have drought-like conditions, and that's where we've been for the last two years. So we're gonna see more and more of that, and that's why you're continuing to see the decline of those trees, even with the watering. The, the straws are plugged. It just can't get any water moving into it. Um, it's a slow, painful death. I hate to see all those blue spruces going out, but at this point in time, there isn't a lot you can do. The trees that you do have still there, supplemental watering is still gonna be important because whenever the tree is stressed, the Cytospora canker, that fungus, is more likely to get into the tree. So we wanna reduce as much stress as possible and keeping them watered is gonna be the big key for that. All right, and you have three pictures on this next one too, and this is a fat Albert. Um, wondering what the deal is here. He's got some roots involved, now a canker. Is this a pine moth? And no, it's- No, this isn't pine moth, this is spruce. Once again, you see all that resin coming down. Most likely I'm gonna be leaning toward a Cytospora canker at this point in time. Mm. Not a lot we can do. And then you look at this and you see the girdling of the, of the trunk and when we have roots girdling the base of the trunk, all you end up doing is you're just squeezing that tree slowly but surely, and it's a very slow, painful death. So at this point in time, I would really recommend, this would be a tree I would consider removing and looking at replacing. Most likely, I would wait until maybe this fall. Um, let's see what the weather conditions are at. Um, if you do replace it this spring or early summer, water, 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 that's gonna be my theme that today, <laughs> maybe all summer, is make sure you water it. Um, that way you can get established. All right, thanks, Amy. Elizabeth, uh, this is a Beatrice viewer, has a 30 plus year old jade plant, repotted a year ago. The root bulb was only the size of a fist. It's been leaning, can it be kind of pruned off and become a, a, a good jade again? You can. Um, what you could do is you could do uh, leaf cutting and start some of those leaves um, and kind of get that plant going that way. It, you know, first thought that root, root ball looks really small, so maybe try a, a shallow, deep, wider pot, like an azalea pot, um, to kind of, you know, give it a little bit more stability at the base, but that is one they could if they wanted to start some leaf cuttings and make some more plants out of it. All right, one picture on this one. This is a Norfolk viewer, rhubarb plant in a pot in an apartment, brought it in February, took off, doing really well, and then the stalks all started to die, so this is inside. 
you cut it back, nothing will grow now. Can he save it or is, does he get to start over with a new rhubarb plant? More than likely, you're probably going to start over with a new rhubarb plant. Um, if you're not seeing any new growth, even after you cut it back, there's really not a lot you can do. Uh, maybe this spring, try to set it outside, see if it'll warm back up outside and get some more growth that way. All right. Thanks, Elizabeth. Well, you know, we spend a lot of planning time deciding what we're going to plant in our garden, but we also make sure our soil is taken care of. Terry James says our soil is every bit as important as what we're planting. Let's take a minute or two to see what's happening out in the backyard farmer garden. This week in the backyard farmer garden, we're going to begin getting that soil ready in our raised beds. Remember last fall, we turned everything over by hand. We added that green manure of the oats to really help hold that soil and it did really well. Those oats are now dead. They're now going to become organic matter. We're going to add a couple inch, extra inches of organic matter or compost onto the top of our raised beds and we're gonna hand turn those over to get those ready to start planting some of our warm season crops of tomatoes, peppers, and those kinds of plants, along with our seeds of cucumbers and melons. And all of our spring crops are really starting to grow and starting to get big. So stop by the Backyard Farmer Garden and check out our raised beds and see the work that we're doing. Right now it is time for the lightning round. All right, Elizabeth, are you ready? You bet. Okay, this comes to us from a Malcolm viewer. They have a damaged spruce that has like a broken branch in the middle of it. Wonders if the hole will fill itself back in. Nope. <laughs> we have a Beaver Lake viewer who has uh, the third year with columnar apples, but no fruit. What's up with that? They might need a pollinizer. All right, um, we have a Council Bluffs viewer who wonders if chopped up dry leaves are okay for garden mulch and if so, how small? Whatever your lawnmower does is just fine and no bigger than, no deeper than three inches. All right, this is a Plattsmouth viewer who uh, says they want seed potatoes for Yukon Gold potatoes but can't find them in Nebraska. Any ideas on that one? No clue, you might check some of the mail order catalogs. All right, is Taylor Juniper a good choice as a landscape evergreen here? You bet. <laughs> we have also a viewer in southwest Nebraska who once is tired of the drought for dry lawn, <clears throat> wants to seed moss rose as a lawn alternative, yes or no? You could try it. I don't know how thick it's going to be in the early spring because that's an annual, but you you'd have the prettiest lawn on the block. All right. Thank you, Elizabeth. All right, Amy, are you ready? I don't think I can be that short. <laughs> I don't think you can either. I don't think you can either. It's pathology. I know. <laughs> All right, are you ready? Yes. So this is a carny viewer who is wondering, is it possible to do soil tests for pathogens in the soil? And if so, what pathogens? No, you can't do that. There's too many and there's no test for it. All right, this is a viewer who had clematis that last year had a fungus among us, and they are wondering if the plant comes up again, should they go ahead and spray it or should they pull it up? Pull up the clematis? I would leave the clematis there, look to see if you get disease development and then we're gonna treat. 
All right. This is an Omaha viewer who has spruces and wonders if the spruce needles should be raked up and disposed of or left. Um, there are some diseases I would probably rake them up um, just, just in case you have disease there. All right. The same viewer who wonders if Taylor Juniper is a good choice wonders if it is susceptible to cedar apple rust. Very susceptible to cedar apple rust. You'll get a lot of those little orange goobers. <laughs> we also have uh, somebody who says crab apples and service berries, et cetera, have already flowered. Is it too late to do any of the treatments for any of those particular diseases? No, you, you can still start treating for those. Um, a lot of times we're looking at um, leaf emergence and then as fruit set occurs. So you're good. All right, thank you, Amy. All right, Matt, you ready? Yeah. Yeah. All right, we have a viewer from Seward who says lawn care companies recommend four to seven steps. Is yes, no, or maybe? Yes, that is normal. So the less steps, the less maintenance, the seven steps, the more maintenance. All right, we have a Murdoch a viewer who has a new turf that was planted in August, wonders whether it should be watered a lot or just occasionally. Uh, if it came in well, occasionally is always better. Deep and infrequent is always best. All right. We have a viewer who wants to know, are there certain lawn uh, additives that should be used on RTF fescue, like sulfur, lime, iron, et cetera, on a regular basis? Um, that would only be determined by a soil test, but normally, no, if your soil is decent. All right. A, a Valparaiso viewer wants to know, uh, how can you kill creeping bent grass but not hurt the rest of the lawn. Um, mesotrione is the only one that really works in cool season grass. All right, we have a viewer who wonders when to put down weed and feed. Now would be good when, uh, when it's wet. All right, and for all weeds. What do you mean? <laughs> I want to know if it'll kill all the weeds. It'll kill, uh, weed and feed will generally kill broadleaf weeds, and there's really no summer annual grasses up, so that would cover, pre-emergent would cover that. <laughs> all right. All right you. Okay, you ready, Jody? Sure. All right. So your first question here is from a, a Lincoln viewer who wants to know, is there any possible way to treat for chiggers in the lawn and mosquitoes in the lawn? Okay, so if you want to treat the lawn, if you know that they're there for chiggers, I was told maybe diatomaceous earthworks, and that was from beekeepers. Mm -hmm. But if there's not chiggers there, then you don't know if it really worked. Lawn mosquitoes, um, if there's like a pool of water, you could drop some mosquito dunks. Okay. Questions. <laughs> yeah, those, well, mosquitoes and chiggers are totally different things. <laughs> All right, uh, we have viewers who are wondering if the termites will be swarming soon, and if so, how do you treat them? Okay, termites are swarming, yes. How do you treat them? You don't usually treat when they are swarming, but it could be an indication that you may need to have your house treated, so have a company come and do an inspection and see if you have termites in the house. All right, uh, this is a Seward viewer who wants to know if grub control is needed if they haven't seen grubs in the lawn for years. No. All right, we have, yes. we have multiple viewers who have little ants coming into the house. Treat those how? With an ant bait, but identify those ants. If they're sugar ants, you can use a sugar bait. All right, awesome, nice job, all. Okay, somebody gets the uh, major award. We're gonna have to cut it in half. 
Okay. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cut it in half. Yeah. All right. Sure. Cut it in half. Elizabeth, plants of the week. Plants of the week. <laughs> um, so we have some really nice early spring bloomers right here. We've got a couple of them. Um, the first one is the pink bleeding heart. So this one's a really fun one. It can get fairly large, like two to three foot across. Uh, makes a nice little um, mound. Uh, it likes those part shaded to shaded environments. There's lots of different kinds. Um, there's the pink one. There's a white one. There's like a really ferny leaf one. Um, they're really pretty, but the cool part about them is they go summer dormant and they will also seed themselves. So keep that in mind. No, you didn't kill your bleeding heart. It just went summer dormant. The next one that we're going to talk about is going to be the bluey purpley colored ones. Um, they're called Virginia bluebells. And the Virginia bluebells, they start out pink and when the buds are really, really tight. And then as they start to age and they start to open, that's when we start to see them turn this lovely blue color. And these form some really nice mounds of kind of thin foliage. And the cool thing about these guys is immediately after flowering, they're gonna go dormant again. And they can also seed themselves. So these are two that will go summer dormant. Um, don't worry if they disappear from your landscape during the summer, that's totally normal. That's that's what the plant does, um, but some really nice plants of the week this week. All right, thank you, Elizabeth. All right, three picks on this first one for you. This is Elmwood, Jody. Uh, what is causing the damage to the <clears throat> trunk of this apple tree? They're on a section that's about a foot above the ground. Looks like the woodpecker was hungry. Mm -hmm. What's your prognosis? So this is bad. I would, <laughs> <laughs> there's probably insects or a borer in there and the woodpecker is trying to get to it. I would recommend getting a new apple tree. All right, perfect. You have two pictures on this next one. This is a Lincoln viewer that has a viburnum for five years. Heat, no rain, but then there's this rot and things. Anything they can do and what is this? I mean, it could be a, a, a borer at the crown. What you could do here is called a rejuvenation prune and the viburnum will come back. So prune it really close to the ground. All right, Matt, you have two pictures here. This is from a Bennett viewer. Large areas of the lawn are brown and appear dead. It's sort of a theme, isn't it? Last year it was nice and healthy. What happened? Is it, it, is it dead and do they start over? Um, it does look like it's dead. I don't know when this picture was taken, but if it hasn't probably greened up by now, it probably is dead, so you wanna get seed in the ground. And it could have been winter kill. It couldn't have been a drought issue. It could have been just open desiccation, winter kill as well, uh, depending on what type of grass it was. I don't, I don't really know by the pictures. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I would definitely get some seed in there if it hasn't greened up yet. All right, you have two pictures on this next one. This is a six-year-old fescue lawn in Cozad, and April 15th is when these pictures were taken. Is that? a disease of some sort or is, what is that exactly? Uh, I think that's just dead grass and it's decaying naturally. Uh, okay. So over winter, usually it does turn brown down to the ground, tall fescue does, especially if you're out in the open areas. Uh, so I wouldn't be alarmed about the black spots on it. That's just the old grass from last year. And it looks like you have enough new shoots coming up out of it. I didn't see really the big pictures if there was uh, okay. dead areas, but it should come back. All right. If there's shoots coming up. Excellent. Amy, mm -hmm. uh, very old apple trees producing great tasting apples. This is what they get. There's two pictures here. Every year or so, the old apples are still on the tree, but the new flowers and leaves are emerging. What is this? And this is Nebraska City. So these are mummies, and this is caused by apple scab. 
um, that is going to give you inoculum and reinfect your apples every single year. So if you're able to pull off those mummies, definitely do it. And if you want to get the fruit off of it, you need to stay on a fruit tree spray schedule, um, probably starting now. All right, excellent. You have one picture on this next one. This is a Guide Rock, Nebraska viewer. What is going on with this ponderosa pine? The rest of it looks good. So we just have a candle here that's... Just a random candle. It could be definitely a canker that's moved in there, uh, preventing water movement. If it's on the north side, it could just be some winter desiccation that has occurred too. Really hard to tell, uh, especially with it up higher in the tree. Just keep an eye on it and see if the tree continues to decline or not. All right, and prune that piece out. Yes. If you cool. can reach it. If you can reach it. All right, Elizabeth, you have two pictures here. This is Council Bluffs, a forest pansy redbud, planted in 22. It has a bark damage area. It's had that damage since it got planted. So what do you think here? Overall, it's okay. Cover the wound or not? You want to leave it open to the environment. We don't want to cover it. We don't want to paint or tar it or put anything on it. Um, hopefully that tree is going to be healthy enough where it's going to make callus tissue or make swollen tissue on either side of the wound that it seals over that wound. Um, if the tree is not healthy enough to seal over that wound, um, that's where we know that that tree is probably going to struggle long term and you're probably going to need to remove at least that portion of the tree. All right, and you have another red bud. This this is two pictures here, six years old, not blooming yet, no issues yet. So center wasn't quite as full. The bark seems to be coming off on this one. Should they baby it and see how it does? You know, if the ends of the branches are brittle, more than likely it's probably dead. Um, if they're still flexible, it might leaf out, but even then we could be looking at some winter desiccation, some drought issues, things like that. So I don't have high hopes if the, leaf, if the ends of the branches are brittle, but there is a possibility, but it could be very slim. <laughs> All right, <laughs> and you have one more bad tree. This is uh, two pictures planted in the middle of September. Wound is about two and a half inches long, two and a half feet, I guess. Couldn't see the wound until the leaves dropped. Should they be concerned about the health of this tree? And this is one again that you're hoping for that callus tissue. What I would say is remove that cane that's on the side of that tree. You want that tree to get that reflex tissue and move around. And you're going to want to remove those braces um, no more than one growing season. So if you can take them off this spring, but leave that wound open to the environment. Don't paint or tar it and just wait and see if you get some callus tissue around that wound. All right, excellent. Thanks, Elizabeth. Well, if you are planning on doing some containers this year or even some raised beds, you'll need the right growing medium. With so many products to choose from, that might be a very confusing decision. Here's Stacy Adams to help you decide which bag is right for you. Well, it's springtime and we're all ready to start getting our planters ready in our patio or wanting to get ready for our gardening. And when we go to the garden center and we start picking our plants out, if we want to make some container gardens, we're really confused when we get to the soil selection. So today I wanted to talk about potting mixes. First of all, we don't use soil in our planters because there's a potential for contaminants that might be in there and we don't have control of what we have. But all these items in front of us today are ingredients that you might find in the different packages of mixes that you happen to see. Um, some of the common mixes that we have might have micronutrients in them. They might have uh, water holding 
uh, gel in there in order to make it last longer. Um, they have organic types. What in the world could an organic potting soil have in it? So it has to do with all the different products that they put into these different mixes. What we need is a mix that has a good balance of moisture holding capacity uh, as well as aeration and porosity in it. Now some of the potting mixes will have micronutrients in it. They'll have also pH adjustment. So all that hard work is done for you. What we need to figure out is which one would be good for germinating plants in. So we want something that's very fine. Maybe something with a lot of bulk. If we have a large planter, we need something that might have the composted bark in it that fills the larger area. So we have lots of choices to make and looking at the ingredients on the very back is really critical um, in order to make sure that we can get that proper aeration, water holding capacity, as well as making sure there's some micronutrients and there may be a long-term feed in there. So when we're looking at the back of the potting mix bag, we'll see the ingredients. And the main ingredients are going to be the, uh, the potting mix components. Oftentimes you'll see peat moss, you might see core, and those will make up the majority of what the potting mix is going to be. They'll also add maybe perlite and vermiculite or other products that are going to be more of an aggregate and that will give that air space for us. So those are the basic ingredients for a potting mix. We also need to look at what the amendments are. So has it been pH corrected? Will we see micronutrients in there? And if so, what are the sources of the micronutrients? So are they a formulated chemical or are they organic? Some of the organic ones will have worm casts or they may have some other products in it that make them organic rather than having formulated chemicals. It's really important that when we head to the potting soil selection at the local garden center that we know exactly what we're going to use the mix for keeping in mind that some are better for germinating plants, small containers, but we also need to look at the right ones for filling large containers. So figure out what you want to do, check that label and all those ingredients and you should be able to pick out the right project for your product for your projects. All right, so you can see this and all those other great video features and past programs on our YouTube channel. The Backyard Farmer YouTube channel is a great place to start looking for answers to your questions about turf, weeds, trees, plant diseases, insect pests, critter control. We do hope you'll check it out. Subscribe to the channel. You'll be on your way to growing those plants the right way. We have a couple of announcements, uh, which is fun. The first is the 29th annual plant fair and market, Northeast Nebraska Master Gardeners, 28th of April, 29th of April in Norfolk. So that's a really good one. And then we, our second one is the UNL Horticulture Club Spring Bedding Sale, May, May 4th and 5th, May 6th, right here on campus, East Campus in the greenhouses. And that is always a great one. The plants look awesome this year. So, all right, we have time for a handful of questions. Jody, your first one here is a viewer who actually has sent us several pictures of these creatures, and she wonders just what this kind of creature is. This is a tan jumping spider, the cutest family of spiders ever. <laughs> having a snack. Having a, having a <laughs> snack. Cute spiders, I've not heard that uh, terminology. Oh, okay, all right. Jumping I'll, spider. Yeah. 
So this person also uh, could not get a clear close-up picture. It loves the porch light. This just came in on the 13th of April. Okay, is this on the out, but the wasp is on the outside of the glass. It's, it's on the, yeah, it's okay, so kind this, of on the outside of the glass. Yeah, this is a, yeah. we call this a parasitoid wasp. So it's a solitary wasp. It's not gonna sting people, but it is probably looking for a host. So it's larvae feed on like the larvae of beetles, flies, different things like that, caterpillars. Okay, alrighty. Uh, your next one is just a fun, beautiful one. He sent us this, but there's a tiny little beautiful creature on that. What is that? Yeah, so that is, we call it a surfid fly, but we also call those flower flies or hover flies. And flies are the second best pollinator besides bees. There you so. go. People don't know that usually, no. do they? All right, Matt, you have two pictures on this uh, first one. They're, they're sort of related, it sounds like. The, f the first is, uh, this was a construction site. Looks like compaction, debris. They're wondering what can actually work for turf in this situation. And the second one uh, picture is there was some netting under it in certain uh -huh. places, and they wonder how to get rid of the netting without pulling up the turf, if the turf does come yeah. up. Okay, so yeah, that first one just looks like there might be some concrete and stuff on top. Obviously, you wanna remove anything that is not soil. So rake it off, pile it up, get it out of there. If you need to, bring in some soil. And then I would suggest tilling it to at least a four inch depth just to remove some of that compaction and then seed the grass type that you want in there. And the, the netting thing, can you pull that up without? Uh, I wouldn't grass pull it up because you'll just keep bringing it up. Uh, so the best thing to do would be go beyond that and take like a box cutter or some longer knife where you can actually just slice through it all. And then you should be able to pull those pieces that are coming up out so you don't hit them with the mower and they ball up on your blades. All right, thanks, Matt. Amy, you have uh, two pictures here. This is um, one branch budding out. They're a little worried about that, that there's only one branch budding out, nothing else. Oh wait, this is Matt still. I was say, this is, oh, this is Matt, <laughs> sorry, this is still Matt. So this is, uh, they wanna know on here, it's bindweed and clover. Can they kill the bindweed without killing the clover? Ah, I don't know if you can do that. If it was like a new seeding of alfalfa or something, there's some products out there that work on legumes safe and not some of the other weeds, but it's not labeled for turf, so I don't, I don't think it's possible. All right, just dig the bindweed. Or encourage more <laughs> white clover, seed it to white clover, and that would be one way to get a new seed in there or a new flush of clover. All right, now it's your turn. Okay. So this is a Lincoln viewer. Uh, seems to only be one branch budding out on this tree. Uh, nothing else on the rest of the tree. Wondering if they should be concerned. He's also seeing a lot of dead needles in the tree itself. Okay. What do we think here? So the dead needles on the inside, I would be leaning toward Dothostroma needle blight that we see that on older needles. Take a look at those needles and see if you're seeing dark brown bands around them, that would be an indication. Now the tree not putting out new uh, candles right now, give it a little time. Um, it might be just a little early. The trees are stressed because of the drought and with their temperatures, just be a little more patient there. All right, thanks, Amy. And you have two pictures on this one. This comes to us all the way from Paxton, which is great. Mm -hmm. Two ponderosa pines, they're three feet tall and one's 12 feet tall. They're in two different locations. Ne needles are dropping, the tips seem dry. Does, is it weather related? Is it a disease? This came in on April 12th. April 12th. Mm -hmm. If the needles are dropping off, I'm probably gonna lean toward drought at this point in time. We should start seeing those new candles starting to elongate and coming out um, 
I'm not able to see brown to indicate a disease, so I probably lean toward environmental and water at this time. All right. Uh, Elizabeth, you have two pictures on this one. This is a 30-foot-plus pine in Lincoln. Seemed really good until this spring. Then patches of dead needles spread rapidly from the base all the way to the top. No evidence of insects or diseases. Wondering about drought, and I think we have a second picture. And the second picture is the one that yes. really gives us the full idea. Um, so if we take a look at that picture, we've got a restricted root area, um, and we are looking at a white pine. And white pine is really drought, um, not drought tolerant, really <laughs> drought susceptible. Um, and so if we take a look at that picture, I, I don't, that tree is not going to make a comeback. Um, it's going to drop all of its needles and eventually you're gonna have to remove. Um, and I don't know if you want to try to replace with that restricted root zone there. Um, probably not, but if you have your heart set on it, you probably could put a smaller tree in that spot. All right, thank you. And you have one here, and this is just a fun one. This was sent in by a viewer who said, heart potato. Does this happen, and how in the world does this happen? It does happen. When you go on your search engine and you type in heart-shaped potato, there are people trying to make millions on heart-shaped potatoes. Oh, my goodness. Um, but heart-shaped <laughs> potatoes are, uh, we'll say, nature's wondrous pageantry. Um, with the way that it was growing, there was something that made that potato the shape that it is, um, you couldn't do that again if you tried. So just enjoy the heart-shaped potato and um, that's all we got. All right. We have a 30-second question for you, uh, Jody, which is somebody saw the yellow sulfur butterflies when it was warmer this week. Did they hatch? Are they laying their eggs or is it just one of those weird anomalies? I saw a couple butterflies this week. Some of them might have come from somewhere warmer. <laughs> All right, they, they're migrating. <laughs> they the right. Maybe they did blow up with the wind, but right. I've seen quite a few. All right, well, you know, we did want to take a moment tonight to remember our dear friend, Ron Hall. For nearly, nearly 70 years, Ron was an instrumental voice at Nebraska Public Media and across public broadcasting as a whole. From establishing success here in Nebraska to serving in Washington, D.C. at both CBP and PBS, Ron's passion was public television. We will greatly miss his passion, his wisdom, and his guidance.